Hello everyone and welcome to the BLS Report. This is a series of podcasts on current issues in business law that's created and sponsored by the Business Law Section of the Law Council of Australia. I'm Pamela Hanrahan. The BLS produces this series of podcasts in honour of our friend and mentor, the late Professor Bob Baxt. AO. And we're delighted to be able, through this podcast, to range across all of Bob's broad interests. Um, And of course, he was at one time the chair of the Trade Practices Commission, now the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission. So uh, he had a very passionate interest in competition law, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. So today's podcast is about current issues to do with competition or perhaps the lack of competition in the digital platform space and what regulators here and overseas are doing about that. We have two very special guests and I'm going to welcome them first. Uh, Our first guest is Kirsten Webb, who is a member of the Law Council's Competition and Consumer Committee. Kirsten is a partner at Clayton Utes and the National Practice Group Leader for their competition and regulatory team. And that team covers the full spectrum of competition and consumer law across a broad range of industries, including TNT, or for those of us who are outside the that space, telecommunications, media and technology. And our second guest is my friend and colleague from the University of New South Wales, Dr. Rob Nichols. Rob is a member of the Business Law Section Media and Communications Subcommittee. He's an associate professor in the UNSW Business School, where his research focuses at the intersection of technology and regulation. Um, Rob had a very rich and uh, varied career before joining us in the academy uh, at Gilbert and Tobin, at Webb Henderson, and indeed at the ACCC. Great to have you both here. Rob, I'm going to ask the foolish question first. We're going to talk about competition in relation to digital platforms. What are digital platforms? And maybe give us a sense of that by what it isn't. So what are their analogue equivalents? Well, the digital platforms generally are the big electronic-based companies that uh, we deal with on a daily basis. And they often use acronyms such as FANG, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, or Google, or GAFAM, Google, Apple, Facebook, Amazon, and Microsoft. And they are the major platforms that you are the primary go-to business for doing certain things. So when you search, typically you Google. When you're engaged in social media, typically it's Facebook. And if it's business, maybe it's LinkedIn, which is owned by Microsoft. Now, they have specific economic characteristics, but I think the easiest way to come to terms with those is to think about the analog equivalent that we all know well, and that's a shopping center. So, what you've got from Westfield is a platform. There isn't a Westfield shop at Westfield. It provides a space in which merchants can meet with customers. At one side, you've got merchants or advertisers, depending on the service that's offered. And on the other, you've got consumers 
and the consumer's information, and that information makes the value proposition to the advertiser uh, greater. So if I'm searching for, uh, for glasses, for spectacles, then having an ad from uh, OPSM or from uh, one of the other eyewear producers could well be a, a value to them. And they might pay more per thousand for people who are searching for, for spectacles than they might for somebody who's generally searching for something else. We said today that we were going to talk about some current issues in regulating those platforms. So if we use Google or Facebook, just as an example, I suppose there's two things that have been have caught my eye as a corporate lawyer rather than a competition lawyer over recent times that I thought we might talk about today. The first is the ACCC's digital platforms inquiry that began back in 2017 and reported in the middle of 2019. Now, I know various things have come out of that work for the ACCC including the Media Bargaining Code, which we'll come back to a little bit later with Kirsten, but um, also some other work. Uh, so I thought it would be really helpful for people listening to get an update on where we are with the ACCC and what the issues are. And the other thing that's been very topical uh, since it was announced in October is the litigation in the United States that's been commenced by the Department of Justice um, um, to it's known as an antitrust action to break up or otherwise look at increasing competition um, and the subject of that litigation is, is Google. So why don't we dive into both of those issues? Kirsten, if I can come to you, can you just tell us a little bit on about where the ACCC is up to on its digital platform work? Yeah, of course. Um, it, and I should say the ACCC's digital platform work is extensive and, and it has a specialist digital platforms branch um, which has been set up, set up to conduct its continued work in relation to digital platform markets. Um, for listeners who may not remember back in time, um, the digital platforms inquiry that you mentioned, Pamela, um, was conducted by the ACCC at the direction of the then Treasurer which was in our Prime Minister, um, back in December 2017, um, directed to, in, to conduct uh, an inquiry into digital platforms quite broadly, as you've said, but in particular, looking at the impact of digital platforms on the supply of news and journalistic content and the implications of this for media content creators, advertisers and consumers. And I mention that because the media bargaining code that we're going to be talking about um, shortly, I think, um, follows, I think, from the recommendations made in the ACCC's digital platforms inquiry report in response to that specific part of the direction that the ACCC was given by the Treasurer. Um, as you said, Pamela, July 2019, the final report was published and the government responded uh, to the recommendations that have been made and the ACCC continues to work in various uh, work streams following from that process. Um, one of them is the media bargaining code work, which we'll talk about. Um, the other is uh, an ongoing um, digital advertising services inquiry, which is a, a separate inquiry the ACCC is undertaking into markets for the supply of digital advertising technology services and digital advertising agency services. Um, that inquiry again follows from recommendations made in the initial inquiry. 
Um, and in February of this year, the government directed the ACCC to conduct an inquiry into markets for the supply of digital platform services, including internet search engine services, social media services, online private messaging services, digital content aggregation platform services, media referral services and electronic marketplace services. So you can see that that's, that's, that's broad and the time frame for that is 2020 to 2025. So the ACCC is very busy is a, uh, a summary of, um, of my quite long-winded answer to your question, Pamela. <laughs> so it's a lot of work is the answer. Um, Ted, you mentioned the media bargaining code. That's really interesting, I think, to a general audience. And, and indeed, that work has attracted a lot of international attention towards the ACCC. Um, can you, what are they trying to achieve with that media bargaining code, Kirsten? Yeah, it's it's a it's a good question because it's a, an unusual um, form of regulation, I suppose, to have a bargaining code in this context. The ACCC has developed the code again in response to a direction from the government, um, which directed the ACCC to develop a mandatory code of conduct to address bargaining power imbalances between digital platforms and media companies. And that is part of the government's response to the Digital Platforms Inquiry final report of the ACCC that we mentioned earlier. In that final report, the ACCC identified that digital platforms have become unavoidable trading partners for Australian news media businesses in reaching audiences online and that that results in an imbalance in bargaining power um, as between the platforms on the one hand and the um, the Australian news media businesses on the other hand. And so I think that the media bargaining code um, is intended to address bargaining power imbalances between um, those media businesses and, and digital platforms, those imbalances having been identified in the uh, inquiries and the government responses that I've just mentioned. So when you say imbalance, you mean that news that publishes the Sydney Morning Herald or the Age or needs Google more than Google needs them? Is that what you mean by imbalance? Yeah, well, look, it's 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 a question perhaps of what the ACCC and the government mean by imbalance rather than me as a mere competition lawyer looking at it all from the sidelines. Um, but, but yes, I think that the, the ACCC's view is that the platforms supply news referral services to media businesses and that they rely on those news referral services um, to such a degree that, that the news media businesses uh, have to deal with the platforms, which provides the platforms with a, a, a higher level of bargaining power in their dealings with those media businesses than the, the bargaining power that the media businesses have, I think is the, is the basic concept of, of an imbalance of bargaining power in this context. I think it's worth uh, also pointing out that there's a couple of issues there. Firstly, the, the government assumption that there is an imbalance has to be put into the context where actually there's much more of a symbiotic relationship between the news media businesses and each of Google and Facebook. They, they need each other and both take get some benefit out of each other. 
And really, the, the, the issue is the value in creation versus the value of curation. So Facebook and Google curate content in order to sell advertising. And that the value, there is a value proposition in the creation of that content, which creates a value in the advertising side. I think there's another other issue to, to bring out, and that is it's, it's really odd that uh, you're ending up with a, a, an industry code, but industry codes to address bargaining power imbalance already exist. So the Franchising Code of Conduct, which is a mandatory code, effectively says there's an imbalance in the bargaining power between franchisors and franchisees. And an industry code, which is enforced by the ACCC, has the prospect of correcting that imbalance in uh, bargaining power. I guess with the Media Bargaining Code, the policy objective would appear to be to get the big curators, as you described them, Rob, to contribute to the cost of generating the content. Is that really where it's gone? To some extent, the answer to that is yes. So there is clearly a value in the created content. But whether there is very much of an imbalance in the value that's actually extracted from it is, is a lot less clear. So if I sh share uh, an article from the Herald on Facebook, um, what happens? Well, my three followers on Facebook uh, might all show an interest in that. Facebook can sell some advertising, but typically the link back will take the person who's interested back into the, the nine Fairfax world of where the link comes from. And that gives an opportunity for nine Fairfax to sell its own advertising there. So there are there are, it's, it's not a trivial issue going on here. It's a really good point, Rob. I think um, the, um, the benefits that the, or value that the digital platforms bring to um, the media business is something that um, perhaps isn't focused on much in the, in the, in the code itself. Um, but as you say, in your example, with your 300 followers, <laughs> the platform is, 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 could, could be seen as providing a, um, a benefit to the, to the, um, the media business there by providing a, a means by which the, the news and other content is organically distributed and growing their audience and, and reach and revenue and, and that uh, imbalance, that, that, that it doesn't seem to be taken into account um, very significantly in the, in the consideration of an imbalance of bargaining power, as you say. Let me ask this question that's just occurred to me while I was listening to both of you. Is this why Australia is kind of a first mover or an outlier on this policy position? We're not the first. What's different here is that it's in the hands of the competition regulator. So way back in 2014, uh, in Spain, the Spanish uh, government essentially said there should be a, a copyright payment made uh, for the use of news services by Facebook and Google in Spain. And the response there was to, uh, to exit. 
So there is no uh, curated news on uh, Facebook or Google in, in Spain, or particularly in Google. Um, there's, a, there's a real interest now because since then, the, the European Copyright Directive has, say, has said, well, there, sh there should be a payment for, for these news services. But it all sits in the intellectual property law world rather than in the, the competition law world, with the exception perhaps of France, where the, uh, the uh, competition uh, agency in France has said, well, we think there should be a deal done between the platform providers and the news media businesses. Uh, but we're going to take a different view. Rather than mandating a particular form of deal, we're going to say that Facebook and Google, which have uh, a significant degree of market power in their respective markets, are abusing that power if they don't come up with a deal. So th there are just different ways of doing it. It's a, an a area which is of great interest around the world, and the ACCC's News Media Bargaining Code potentially might be the first one where you, you actually get a price signal from each of Facebook and Google, or potentially the, the threat is uh, that Facebook has made, which is, oh, well, we're not going to let you use, link to news services anymore, is actually carried out. It might also be the case, Rob, that that we have a we, we have a, a, a proposed media bargaining code um, because of the um, structure and c content of our Competition and Consumer Act more broadly. So you gave the example of France um, looking at uh, abuse of market power by the digital platforms. We we here the ACCC has identified and the and the government as well an imbalance in bargaining power, not a an abuse of market power or any of those kind of notions. Um, and we have, as you mentioned, other codes that are in place in industries that are intended to address an imbalance in bargaining power, um, where the competition laws that apply to market power um, may not be appropriate to apply. And because we have that structure in our act where we have the competition laws and we have the consumer laws and we have the concept of industry codes that kind of sit there in the middle, um, perhaps that as a, as a, a policy setting means we, we've got a, a, a proposed industry code uh, to address an imbalance in bargaining power, which, which draws from concepts we've seen in other codes and also in, I think, third-party access regimes that are in place in Australia. So, Kirsten, would that be like poles and wires, thinking about it as not a competition lawyer, but you know how outside my house there's poles and wires and there's a variety of electricity generators who use that to reach a variety of customers. So we use access codes in those situations because that's not a situation where you would have competition. You wouldn't have two sets of, of wires running along the street. Is that sort of what you're getting at? Yeah. So if you think of, so we talked about talked about um, thinking about the thinking of the platforms uh, as as a shopping centre. Um, if you think instead of a shopping centre where you can have where you do have multiple shopping centres um, from whom you can choose, and then if you choose the one, it, everything's there for you. If you imagine there's only one shopping centre, um, so if you're a, a, a merchant. 
um, the only way you can get your product to consumers is to have it available in that shopping centre. So you see third-party access regulation where you have an infrastructure or a service that is in is a, a natural monopoly and you have a, a regime which operates so that the operator of that um, facility, so going back to our shopping centre, the operator of the shopping centre um, provides access to, in our example, merchants to allow them to use that shopping centre um, on terms and conditions and, and at a price that is regulated or arbitrated um, in order that they can use that facility to supply their goods to consumers. I wonder, we've been talking about using this industry code or the media bargaining code to solve this imbalance in bargaining power between the content providers, so the news organisations and the platforms, specifically, I guess, Google and Facebook, um, who make use of their content on their platforms. But does that point to the bigger issue, which is, I guess, where we're getting to in the United States, that maybe the problem is structural and that these businesses have become so big and have so significantly crowded out competitors and innovators that it's really only an antitrust or a trust-busting solution that's the right one? Is that where they're going in the United States, Rob? Uh, it is. So the, the Department of Justice, along with uh, a number of states, which were all uh, red states up until uh, the election, is is going after Google. It's taken an action, an antitrust law action, which is essentially accusing uh, the Google of monopolisation, and that. There is a, a problem. One of one of the examples that is used in the uh, pleadings is that Google pays Apple. I'd have to say, without evidence attached, somewhere between eight and twelve billion dollars a year for Google to be the default search engine on Apple phones, at least on uh, Safari used on on Apple phones, and that essentially the only uh, remedy that is available is to do something that breaks up Google. Um, and we might call that uh, structural separation. Now, in my view, there are alternatives to doing this. And, and Kirsten mentioned before that there was a, a slightly different regime in, in access regimes for telecommunications. One of the, the fundamental changes there is to move to something called equivalence of outcomes. So if I'm getting access to Google in order to provide, let's say, a specialized search uh, for members of the, the law society, that the outcome that I get using an access regime is the same as if Google offered the service itself. And how do you do that? Well, it's probably not by having uh, a, a, a mandatory, here is how you will do it, you must work this way. It's much more likely to be, well, access to the internal workings of Google so that you get to do it the same way that Google does. 
Now, technically, this can be done using uh, something called application programming interfaces. But basically, it says, well, how is that message dealt with in Google? Well, you have access to deal with that message in the same way. So, so it's sort in, of te technology sharing. Yeah, or, or, yeah. yeah te technology sharing in the same way that, uh, that telco has been regulated on a technology sharing basis. So you can either share the copper wires, that's one form of regu regulated service, or you could share, a, in effect, a white label service of the way that uh, Telstra, as the uh, use, owner and user of the, the copper wires, delivers the service itself. So in the same way as you, you mentioned electricity, well, if I sign up to a green electricity provider, well, it's the same generators, it's the same transmission network, it's the same poles and wires in the distribution network. But I have the effect of getting a green energy because I'm buying energy with carbon offsets. So these technical solutions have the potential of being an alternative. And they're the ones that are most normally applied to big structural problems uh, that, that flow from monopolies. And the, the whole approach that says, well, this is a natural monopoly as opposed to a created in the last 15 years monopoly, in my view, might, might well be an alternative to trying to break up monopolies, which has been the approach that uh, uh, is promoted by some in, in the US. And I think it's an alternative that would actually resonate much better, both with the platforms. Well, actually, what are we doing? Well, we're providing access to the stuff that we've built for ourselves. Uh, why are we doing it? Well, because we're forced to, but we are getting paid for it. So we're going to be paid a normal return Shockingly, our normal returns are a bit higher than most utilities, but we'll be paid a normal return for doing that. So I think there are technological solutions which are entirely consistent with uh, the regulation of networked industries where the, the approach is looking for equivalence of outcomes rather than going down and saying, well, this is a very specific set of access rules which are not actually going to achieve the, uh, the innovation option uh, that's foreclosed by having monopolies. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think for those of us who aren't competition specialists, understanding that competition is not the end in itself, that all you're trying to do is create conditions whereby um, presumably there's price pressure so nobody can overcharge because they're the only ice cream truck in town on the hot day, um, but also to make sure that you don't have a situation where somebody's big and powerful enough that they can buy up and stifle innovation, which is what we've really seen a lot of in sort of fintech and financial services. That's been a big issue about um, incumbents, you know, coming into early stage innovators and and swallowing them up and then them just quietly disappearing. So I guess what you're saying, Rob, is that this trust-busting approach of the DOJ is one way of achieving those outcomes but not necessarily the only or the best way to achieve those outcomes. Yeah, it's, yes. it's certainly not the only way. Uh, in my view, it's unlikely to be the, the best way. 
but it's an issue where where you are dealing with a, a, a quasi monopoly, so you have to deal with them on a, uh, a on a basis which is very firm. But the, that basis doesn't necessarily mean you have to break them up, which in because if you break up a platform, there is the risk that the value that came from having the platform in the base as a whole in the first place could be lost. So it's not the only alternative, and there are other interesting alternatives that could be approached. You and also, I think um, the, the the sort of um, separation notion and the sort of concepts we've just been talking about um, are sort of a bit static in their um, in their thinking um, it's, to put kind of very very bluntly it, you know the, the platforms are, um, are quasi monopolies in as it said as, as you've just used Rob and that and therefore they need to be broken up but we've got to remember that, that, that we are talking about you know an industry which is dynamic and exhibits a, a lot of innovation. Um, you know, we, uh, I've not used this, but uh, TikTok, I believe, is one of the fastest apps of all time to reach some very, very large downloads and, and barely, barely rates a mention in the um, digital platforms report, for example. And so um, c coming up with um, ways that uh, are, are directed at um, uh, the, the position of the exist digital platforms as they exist today um, needs to be thought of in in the, that context that, that um, look the digital platforms are as they are today. Um, is it right to assume that that will endure um, in the concept in the context of, of the the sort of industry that we're talking about, where um, new networks can develop really quickly, um, as in, as example as the TikTok example example shows, I think. Yes, and I think there's also a history. So, in, particularly in telco, so that the modified final judgment in the US, which broke up AT and T into a, region, a set of baby bells and uh, interconnection offered by others between the states. Well, now who's the major provider of telco services in the US? AT and T. All of the baby bells have been reaggregated. And then there's a wireless overlay on top, they're the major cellular provider. So these, over time, even these uh, uh, structural separation approaches or breaking up of businesses haven't got a great track record. If we accept that the media bargaining code has held a lot of interest over the last 12 months, but is probably only a small part of the ACCC's work in digital platforms, what are the next two or three big developments that we ought to look out for? What do you think, Rob? Well, I think we're already see, seeing some of them. Uh, the first one is the ACCC's issues paper on app stores. Uh, ironically, it was published very, uh, very close to the commencement of a, a legal action by Epic, which is the uh, Fortnite platform, with Apple over uh, should Apple be able to extract 35% uh, for upgrades and should Apple determine how Epic apps are dealt with on the, the App Store. But I think uh, it's their... Well, 
Rob, I should just Sorry. pause there. For anyone who doesn't have a 12-year-old, Fortnite is a computer game. Uh, yes, Fortnite's a computer game. So, uh, And the Epic platform supports a, a range of computer games. In, incidentally, it also supports uh, the 3D rendering that if you're having some renovations done on your house, your architect is very likely to be using uh, uh, the Epic platform to do those 3D renderings. So you can do a walkthrough in just the same way on Fortnite, a, uh, a, a fictitious first-party, first-person shooter will walk through a, an environment. So it's, it's a, a broad platform. Um, so Fortnite, uh, Epic Games, I think it's an interesting area that the ACCC is trying to work out. Is the App Store problematic? Is the Google Play Store problematic? It also raises the question as to whether other uh, monopoly or quasi-monopoly markets might also be problematic, but that's perhaps a second issue. Where I'm really interested, and I think where the focus is going to be from other parts of the world, is on the ad tech. Um, so the Digital Platforms Inquiry got to perhaps some of the clearest explanations as to how ad tech works, but the further inquiries to try and drill down on that detail are going to be important. So my, my example of if you were searching for glasses, you might be able to, you might see ads on Facebook or Google, which were for uh, glasses providers and optometrists. Actually, the process of, of selling that spot for you is really complex. It's uh, uh, an almost instantaneous online auction. And how that works and whether there are any competition issues that flow from that, I think will be the big next step that flows from the ACCC's work. What do you see, Kirsten, as the next thing that's likely to come out of this? Well, thinking about it from the perspective of things that might be of interest to, to listeners, um, we haven't really spent much time this afternoon talking about the consumer protection side of things. Um, and I think that that's an important uh, one to watch as well. Um, the Digital Platforms Inquiry Report identified um, some areas to focus on in terms of data practices um, and also with respect to the collection and use of consumers' personal information. Um, and so I think that that is an area to watch. The ACCC has a couple of proceedings in the, in the federal court um, concerning the adequacy of disclosure, I think, of, of, um, of contents of privacy policies and the like. And that is something that's going to be of interest to all listeners and their, their clients because everybody has a privacy policy and, um, and, and that's an area that I think is going to be of, of ongoing focus. I, I agree, Kirsten. And I think when you combine that with the prohibition on unfair contract terms that might actually lead to, uh, to penalties, perhaps wading through the uh, privacy policies and the privacy requirements of uh, each of the platforms, which is a necessity in order to get to the service, could be a little less risky. Excellent. Well, we'll have to have you both back to talk about those issues as they unfold through 2021. But in the meantime, thank you both so much for sharing your 
obvious and considerable expertise um, with fellow members of the business law section. Uh, it's a fascinating area and I think uh, it's so all-pervasive now for all aspects of business that none of us can really choose not to engage with it. So having such an accessible and interesting introduction to the current issues has been really valuable. Thank you both very much. Thanks very much, Pamela. Thanks, Kirsten. Thanks, Pamela. Thanks, Rob. That was very enjoyable.